Hello there! You are listening to At The Well, the weekly Bible podcast that helps you see yourself in the stories of Scripture. I'm Jarrell. I'm Charles. And I'm Eli. And we're delighted that you're joining us for this week's discussion. Gentlemen, it is October. Woo! We've, we've made it. We're we have made it. out of 12 months through 2020. Well, I guess nine. We're in the 10th month. There we go. There it is. I'm excited. I... For me, October means watching uh, the Halloween Town trilogy of the Disney Channel original movies. So I think after we record today, that's going to be going to be my evening activity of choice. <laughs> I had men's group on Thursday and we had pho. And I told you all that that was what I was most looking forward to. And that's what I ate. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure, Charles, you've you've you're probably golfing right now. Like this. <laughs> You're, you've got a green screen. This is this is a green screen, right? It's a moving green screen, so you guys can't see that I am like on the ninth hole right now, about to do my tee shot. In case you're wondering, I'm five over. I'm impressed. <laughs> yeah, I'd imagine Charles and your elaborate green screen setup that you're currently. Sta- if I ever see you staring off the distance and yelling four, I'll know why that is because you are pulling the wool over all of our eyes right now for your favorite fall, spring, summer, and winter activity. Out here in Maryland, it's a, it can be a winter activity. You are not wrong. You are not wrong. Okay, well, let's, let's transition from that into our question of the week segment. If you'd like to submit a question for this segment, you can email us at threeguysatthewell at gmail.com. That's the number three, guysatthewell at gmail.com. Guys of the Wells, all one word and lowercase. So our question from today comes from our friend, Vanessa, uh, who lives in Mumbai. Is that where Vanessa is from? I think so. Eli, is that right? Yes. Okay. Our good friend, Vanessa, from Mumbai, who lives here for quite a bit, and we miss her so much. But she sent us in a question of, what is something that surprised you this week? Um, I know. And it's super irritating. So apparently, I've never had any tooth issues. I've never had a cavity, nothing. And I found out, I went to the dentist this week earlier, and I found out that one of the nerves beneath one of my front teeth died randomly. And that's a thing that can just happen randomly. That's what I learned this week. So now I need a root canal in the next two to three weeks or it's going to get infected. Oh, that's awful. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> I need that's... to go to the dentist. Yeah, you should do that twice um, a year. Yeah. Yeah. Chelsea twice yeah. the dentist. And I didn't know that was possible. So I yeah. I love the dentist for that reason. Oh. Well that was yeah. Sorry to change the tone like that. (laughs) Were you looking for happy surprises, Vanessa? (laughs) (laughs) No, decaying nerves, Eli. I I don't, I don't, yeah, my surprise isn't like that happy either. It's just interesting where I got, I was surprised at that by the end of the week, I wanted another work day. To make, to be like to be able to make progress on some stuff that I've got on my plate, 
before like the weekend began. Uh, I just feel like, man, I could use another like eight hours to like make some ground on some things before heading into the weekend. And it was a really strange and surprising state of mind to be in. Good. I mean, showing that you're really enjoying your work and your vocation is very life-giving. Wow. <laughs> Lord be a Thursday. Just put, put that weekend off one more day. <laughs> um, I don't know. Uh, my, I think mine was, um, it was a happy surprise. Uh, but the Miami Heat extended the final series against the Los Angeles Lakers. I was surprised um, about that as well. Yeah, like I, I really like the Heat and their team. Jimmy Butler is just a monster. Um, and so I, I haven't gotten to watch any of the games like in real times. We don't have cable. Um, but I've just been checking scores and stats, and I am very happy that they are pushing it to a game six and hopefully a game seven. So, yeah, go Heat, uh, Eli's favorite team, and uh, hopefully they win it all. Again, Bougie Eli doesn't doesn't deal with basketball, but we're working on it. <laughs> we'll get you there. You need to watch The Last Dance. That's been my soapbox this week, telling people to watch or rewatch The Last Dance. I think I talked about it at our last recording session, actually. <laughs> so, yeah, send us questions of the week, and you can get all your information about dental health. But for our passage for today, episode or second episode of our Who the She Bears 8 season, we will be in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 22 through 25. 27 through 35, and then 1 Samuel chapter 4, verses 12 through 18. So we're jumping around a little bit. If you have your Bibles and you aren't driving, you can start turning there now while I set the scene. Eli must have thought that Samuel was a really cool kid. After all, this boy wonder was consecrated to minister in the temple before he was born, heard from the Lord in a time when prophecy and revelation were scarce and was generally eager to learn. As the high priest of Israel at the time, Eli must have enjoyed having an attentive pupil to instruct in the ways of the Lord. I mean, it was more than he could say about his own sons, Hophni and Phinehas, two young men who dishonored their father and his esteemed position through unrepentant sin and blatant disregard for the commands of the Lord. While Samuel grew in wisdom and softness of heart that allowed him to hear God's word, Hophni and Phineas continued to abuse their father's position to satisfy their greed and earthly desires. Eli may have been an effective high priest, but along the way, he forgot to be a father. Now, Eli was very old, and he heard everything his sons did to all Israel and how they lay with women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So he said to them, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. No, my sons, for it is not a good report that I hear. You make the Lord's, people's, the Lord's people transgress. If one man sins against another, God will judge him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? Nevertheless, they did not heed the voice of their father because the Lord desired to kill them. Then a man of God came to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, did I not clearly reveal myself to the house of your father, when they were in Egypt in Pharaoh's house? Did I not choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to offer upon my altar, to burn incest, incest into where and ephod, ephod before me? 
And did I not give to the house of your father all the offerings of the children of Israel made by fire? Why do you kick at my sacrifice and my offering, which I have commanded in my dwelling place, and honor your sons more than me? To make yourselves fat with the best of all the offerings of Israel, my people. Therefore, the Lord God of Israel says, I, indeed, I said indeed that your house and the house of your father would walk before me forever. But now the Lord says, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming that I will cut off your arm and the arm of your father's house so that, that there will not be an old man in your house. And you will see an enemy in my dwelling place, despite all the good which God does for Israel. And there shall not be an old man in your house forever. But any of your men whom I do not cut off from my altar shall consume your eyes and grieve your heart. And all the descendants of your house shall die in the flower of their age. Now this shall be a sign to you that will come upon your two sons on Hophni and Phinehas. In one day they shall die, both of them. Then I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. I will build him a sure house and he shall walk before me, my anointed forever. Then a man of Benjamin ran from the battle line the same day. At this point, Israel is at war with the Philistines. And this man came to Shiloh with his clothes torn and dirt on his head. Now when he came, there was Eli sitting on a seat by the wayside watching for his heart trembled for the ark of God. And when the man came into the city and told it, this, all the city cried out. When Eli heard the noise of the outcry, he said, what does the sound of this tumult mean? And the man came quickly and told him. Eli was 98 years old and his eyes were so dim that he could not see. Then the man said to Eli, I am, I am he who came from the battle and I fled today from the battle line. And he said, what happened to my son? So the messenger answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines, and there has been a great slaughter among the people. Also, your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God has been captured. Then it happened, when he made mention of the ark of God, that Eli fell off the seat backward by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died, for the man was old and heavy, and he had judged Israel for 40 years. So this is a long one. Um, and a lot happened. So guys, let's just uh, talk a bit more about this story and just who Hophni and Phinehas were, who Samuel was, and who was Eli. Eli, would you like to answer for um, your, your, this, this guy here? No, no reason, really. Can I, can I just say that I have always, somewhat playfully, but mostly low-key seriously, really disliked Eli? He's arguably <laughs> like an incredibly mediocre father. <laughs> incredibly which is why the lord allows him to fall down a flight of steps break his neck and die like you just read it he's so the thing that like trips me up is why do you like the the when the man of god came to eli he said why do you honor your sons more than me by fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering made by my people israel this means this is like a strong indicator that it wasn't just like Hophni and Phineas were doing these things, they were being selfish, but Eli also from time to time partook in their, in their debauchery. Not necessarily them like playing around with temple prostitutes, but like they're taking the meat that was meant to be for God's offerings and sacrifices. I am not, I'm triggered whenever I read Eli. I'm, I'm mad. Like he's a bad Eli and I'm not about it. In fact, 
I summon all other Elis, both good and bougie alike, to unite against awful Elis around the world. <laughs> wow. You heard I'm you over heard. it. If you're an Eli out there, get to work. I I, I honestly like, an evil twin Eli with like a villainous mustache. And he's like <laughs> twisting and just like, mm, yes, yes. <laughs> I I honestly didn't realize the wrongdoing of Eli previous to reading this in this context, reading this passage, and be like, oh no, he's he, and I'm sure we'll get into this. He's not only like like not being a good father, but he is like participating in the sin of his sons, and that kind of it changes my perception of Eli the prophet who up to this point i was like oh he's the guy who kind of raised up samuel um and that's like what i knew up to this point well that's that's changed now yeah absolutely i i remember the first time i read about yeah his death and the death of his sons i didn't like i wasn't quite sure initially or just that first pronouncement on him that his sons would die it was kind of like we talked last week about the she-bears seeming like a comical overkill. And so it was kind of like, I like you, Charles, I was like, oh, he raised up Samuel. And that's kind of mostly what I had heard. And then I like read the passage about judgment being pronounced on his family and his line. And I was like, oh, that seems like a bit, like it seems like this guy's uh, trying. And then you, you get to your point, you read of like, oh, he was, uh, aligned with his sons in some of this and even then didn't really stop them he kind of complained that people were probably bringing it to his attention but didn't act strongly enough to turn his kids away from the things that they were doing um which yeah includes like laying with uh women in the like like near the temple where people would meet there's a a section near the beginning of the passage where it talks about them not doing offerings in the temple or just kind of like despising offerings to the Lord, which kind of gets into the stuff that you guys read. So his sons were out there just ignoring uh, who God was and the way that they went about honoring him in that time. And it seems like Eli was just a bit too passive in uh, bringing them back or calling them back. Um, so to kind of, to transition us from that to, to you know, it's kind of, unpack the first bad Eli that we're trying to to overcome for our Eli's sake. How do we learn from this? So Eli was in a position of spiritual leadership for three young men, Samuel, Hophni, and Phinehas. He was a high priest of the Lord at a time where hearing from God was very rare. So how do we learn from his mistakes here uh, to better shepherd the flock of God when we are presented with a Hophni and a Phineas in our own lives? How do we love them well and turn them to the Lord? Well, one of the things that immediately stands out to me is that Eli gave up on his kids. And mm -hmm. because it was easy to minister to Samuel, um, who was mm -hmm. clearly chosen by God and who had been affirmed by this messenger that approached Eli and told him that someone new was going to come. And then like, if you read through chapter three, you know that like, Samuel is literally hearing from the Lord. Mm -hmm. And so like Eli sort of just 
it's almost like treating your treating your mentees or your kids as if they're too far gone rather mm. than like sticking to your guns like the the if anything, whether you're a youth minister or a parent or a Christian parent, your goal as a Christian parent is to parent Christians. And even if it's rough, and this is coming from somebody who has, who's only a Christian child, not a Christian parent. So I'm trying to tread lightly and be respectful, even when it is rough. To be a Christian parent is still to be called to mission within your family, is my understanding of parenthood before being a parent. Um, yeah. And that's all, that's all I can say with practical assurance. (laughs) I defer to you. (laughs) Well, as a, as a parent, uh, it it struck me that point very, very clearly. I, I, I would, um, verbalize it as that, uh, parents cannot neglect their responsibility, their responsibility to their children. And I like the way you put it, Eli, like, it was easier to to mentor and to invest in Samuel um, because he was clearly, I mean, Eli himself wasn't hearing from the Lord. We know this um, at, from chapter three and, and Samuel was so like, and, and as, as a, as a campus minister, I can, I can tell you, it's very easy to invest in students or people that in our ministry who who clearly want to be invested in and who are responding to God and like, that's where I want to spend my time. That's who I want to invest in. No, I have a responsibility to all students because God loves all his children. And as parents, we have a particular call and mission, as you so well put, Eli, to our children. And I, I'm remembering, I, it calls to mind um, the principle, I think it's, uh, I know it as the I am third principle. Um, there are other ways to, to kind of verbalize it, but it's God first, other second, and yourself third. And as a married man, for parents, I think the other second is like your wife, God first, then your wife, and your children, then yourself. Um, And it's clear that Eli was kind of, uh, maybe he had God first, but he was like, he was about himself and his comfort zone. And I don't really want to address my, my sons, like their lost causes. I'm going to work on this, this prodigy um, here. Um, And that's, he kind of abdicated his main responsibility. His main responsibility was not to be a prophet. His main responsibility was to be a father. Um, And he, he had a calling to be a prophet, but he first and foremost, was called to be a father to his children. And he kind of like did not fulfill that responsibility. For sure. I think similarly, in a similar way to Eli, like I am not uh, parents, uh, but I do teach high school. And I, I resonate strongly with that idea <clears throat> that you laid out, Charles. Is like, yeah, it's easy to uh, spend, spend time talking to and investing in the kid who sits in the front and asks really good questions and is interested in the material and laughs at all my jokes. Um, but it's hard to, there is that kind of bias that I have to check constantly as an educator of like, but I'm also here for the kid in the back who does not care about anything that I'm saying. And to kind of withdraw attention or investment from those kids entirely to just say, well, you know, they're kind of a lost cause would be, you know, practice for me 
as a teacher. And so even more so um, is someone who is a parent. And it's also a, it's a vicious cycle, I think. Like, I, I think that when I consider my, my own life and like people I've encountered, I think it's a vicious cycle where, and I don't, we don't know much about Hoffman and Phineas other than the ways that they sinned against the Lord. Um, but I'd imagine that they would have noticed their father spending a lot, lot of time with this kid, Samuel. Like they would have noticed his like eagerness to uh, instill the word of the Lord into this kid. They would have noticed that he was very invested in, in Samuel, but didn't really have the time uh, for them unless he was correcting them and just kind of complaining about like the gossip, like reports getting back to him for the stuff that they did. Right. Um, so we don't know this. This is very much conjecture. But I think that when we treat people like lost causes, we don't give them hope to act any differently. And I think with Eli and like Hoffman and Phineas, there there's definitely potential that he just kind of it was it might have been evident to them that our our dad doesn't really care about us. So, you know, what's the point? And I think that we want to instill that hope in people wherever they are in their faith walk they're like no god loves you he has something for you he's going to correct you um in certain ways but he doesn't see you as a lost cause so we have to model that same kind of intention to not just turn our back to what is easy or to what is comfortable like i was uh talking to a friend a couple of months ago and they were they were talking about some struggles that they had had within a a a, a church that where they didn't feel particularly supported. And there were mistakes made in the leadership that were very hurtful for this person. And they shared about a time when they were basically saying, I'm, I'm leaving this church for different reasons and uh, mentioned something to the effect of like struggling with like mental health and the church not really being great about it. And the person in leadership they were talking to just kind of said, some, kind of not dismissed it, but just kind of took it as, well, yeah, you know, a lot of people... Uh, your age struggle with mental health and that's kind of that's kind of hard and like we're not super surprised when it happens or when it like causes people to leave and it was kind of this like very passive oh well you know kids struggle with mental health and that makes ministry hard so we get it and it's like well no like that's not that's not it like that's not the move and it's kind of expecting the harvest to look the way that we want it to look in order for us to invest like, you know, they, they talk, they, I think it's in, um, in uh, talking about Elijah talks like the fields are white with harvest and like ripe for harvest. And like, we want that. We want the eagerness and the excitement and the zeal for the Lord. But when we don't see that, we don't get to decide to check out. Like when the harvest doesn't seem ripe and it's just like us digging holes, we don't get to just say, well, I don't see any fruit of it. So I'm quitting. And that kind of attitude as we see with Eli is damaging uh to a, a, an incredible degree i think that's i think that's spot on um and i think i also as a parent this is a very foreboding tale and mm. i think um i was really struck on some things that i even before before i became a parent that i i really i really believe i mean it kind of it kind of like doubled down on this like this this uh call 
that I have as a parent to raise my children and to invest in them. Um, and I was I'm reminded of um, in First Timothy chapter three, uh, it's specifically talking about the office of bishop, but like for the context of this season, we're talking about um, uh, people who are, are shepherding children. So I think it's for the parent, the teacher, the, the campus minister, the youth minister, people have, um, who have that kind of influence. It says in verse four, that person, applying it to our situation, that person must manage his own household well, keeping his or her children submissive and respectable, respectful in every way. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? And um, it's like, there's very clearly, there's a priority. And if you, if you can't manage your own household, how can you be expected to go out and have influence in the broader church? Um, and, and it speaks to the importance of something that I have thought about and think is one of the most important things in Christianity. And that's the domestic church, that's the family and how important it is a role I have as a father, as Chelsea and I have as parents to, to, to uh, raise our children in the faith. Um, and how, and I also, it was also struck by the gospel. Um, so the gospel message, um, the way it continues, it's maintained is of course through evangelism, of course it's through outreach and, and all of that but it actually predominantly happens in the domestic church. It predominantly continues by parents teaching their children in the way of the faith. If that doesn't happen, um, then there's, the foundation is kind of, it's kind of shattering. And, and especially for people in leadership, if you do the foundation of your own family is shattering and you're not, you're not actually making an effort, like Eli wasn't even making an effort. Uh, if you're not actually making an effort to raise your children, who are you to think you're going to be uh, have the the impact for others when someone can look at your family and be like, "What's going on here?" And I know this is sensitive. I know a lot of parents and people who like made an effort and it didn't turn out and hasn't turned out as well. And I'm not that I'm not I'm trying not to judge because clearly everyone has free will. Um, but I think like we see Eli didn't make an effort or really abdicated his responsibility and children, students, you know, whatever it may be, have their own free will. But if we, we have to try and we have a responsibility um, to, to lead our children, to lead the, the youth in our charge um, and rear them in the faith. Mm. So, yeah, to play off of what both of you are saying, you both reminded me of a prayer time I had, I think it was about a year, year and a half ago. I was really struggling with self-worth and uh, insecurities and identity and um, struggling with feeling like I was worthwhile. Um, and when you said putting in effort, Charles, um, I got this definition for self-esteem during this prayer time. And this is a prayer time that took place over the course of like a few weeks. I was praying every single day for these issues. Um, Self-esteem is the sum of the effort that you know has been put into you. I'll mm. say it again. Self-esteem is the sum of the effort that you know has been put into you. 
You understand your self-worth when people show you how far they're willing to go for you. We get this from God because God doesn't just work in the background of our lives. God actually proclaims his good works and tells his people to remember his good works in history. Tell them from generation to generation. Jesus didn't secretly get up on a cross. The world, like God set a stage for that to be showcased. And we see the depth of God's love in his sacrifice for us, dying and suffering, becoming vulnerable for the sake of our mortal pieces. Like, and oftentimes I feel like even like with children, it's the same call to parents. Show them. Don't just don't just put food on the table. Don't just make sure they have a roof over their head. Don't just don't just do the external surface level things. Do the things that make them understand. Ah, you would spend yourself for me, not money wise. I mean, spend your spend your effort, your time, blood, sweat, and tears for me. Um, and as you were like expounding on um, Eli. As he, as it pertains to Phineas and uh, Hophni, Jarrell, just like them seeing the effort that he put into Samuel. Like, I can't, I, because Samuel, like, he was given up as a baby. Hannah visited them or visited him, but like ultimately he was under the care of Eli. And so he grew up with this, with seeing this effort. I'm not saying that like his self-esteem was built on that. No, it was built on the Lord ultimately. But like Eli's attention to him Mm. impacted that. And one of the biggest steps for me personally, like I've always known that my mother loved me dearly. I saw her spend herself for me. I know that. I got it. Um, But then my love for the Lord kicks in when I realize you held back nothing when it came to offering your affection for me and showing your commitment to making sure I knew I was loved and worthwhile. Um, the, beauty, the beauty of the good shepherd going back for the one, leaving the 99 and going back for the one is how I feel about God when I read his word. Um, and so, yeah, self-esteem is the sum of the effort that you know has been put into you. Praise God for mm-hmm. that. No, I love that. And just that image of God is kind of show, don't tell. Like, I'm going to, it's not enough. And he, he tells this as well, but it's not enough for him to just say, well, you know, I love you. It's like, I'm going to show you exactly um, how much. And I think there's a call to us as well to recognize that as uh, people who are called to shepherd the flock of God, like, we can't fully approximate parents. Um, but we do have the opportunity to kind of step in and show someone that effort maybe for the first time. Um, like I, like I'm from a broken home, Eli, you're from a broken home and I have a wonderful mother, but I have a lot of spiritual fathers who chose to make the effort, who chose to invest where my own earthly father didn't. Um, and I think there's a, something compelling in like commending to us as young men and just to the church to be on the lookout for the Hophneys and the Phineases of the world who see themselves as lost causes and are going about life as if they are already lost. Um, Like we don't know how quickly we can turn around someone's trajectory to a question we answered um, in our last episode. We have no idea how we can turn around someone's trajectory by simply treating them as God sees them, as someone who he invested a resurrection in. 
in order to show them that they are worth something. Um, and yeah, let's take up that call as disciples. Amen. Well, that is it for this week, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. You can check us out at, at thewell.podbean.com. We upload new episodes every Monday on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. You can also connect with us on Twitter and Instagram by searching Three Guys at the Well and head over to our Facebook page to keep the conversation going in a space reserved for further discussion of the topics cover we cover in each week's episode. We'll talk to you next week here at the Well.